Hello there and welcome to Pro Tour Talk with Steve Dodge. I'm Steve Dodge. Today is November 7th and we are firmly in the trenches of the off-season. We have a great interview with Charlie Eisenhood, the editor and owner of UltiWorld Disc Golf. And we talk about disc golf media, ultimate media, the advantages of one sport versus the other, and go a lot of fantastic places. Uh, always a pleasure to talk with Charlie. We finish up the show with a review of where we might be headed in 2019 regarding disc golf media. And then we'll close out the show at the very tail end by talking about the growth of Pro Tour media. As you probably know, at the Tour Championship, we had all of the live broadcast and all of the edited shot-by-shot coverage on the Pro Tour YouTube channel. Uh, I think we saw two or 3,000 people subscribe to the YouTube channel just in that week, which was phenomenal. And thank you guys very much for supporting what we're doing and commenting that you think we're doing okay. We will continue to improve and enjoy the media numbers at the end of this show. I think you will be impressed with our growth, and I think it's just the beginning. Somewhere between 5 to 10 million people play Ultimate, and somewhere between 5 to 10 million people play Disc Golf. The AUDL, the semi-pro league in Ultimate, has 25,000 subscribers. The Disc Golf Pro Tour has 25,000 subscribers on their respective YouTube channels. The AUDL has two videos with 100,000 plus views. So does the Pro Tour. The difference, as it seems to me, is the cameras. Ultimate takes two, maybe five, stationary cameras hardwired to create a show live. Disc Golf has two remote cameras with good cell signal to do anything live. Ideally, you'd have four, but they all have cell signal, and not all courses work. Today with Charlie Eisenhood, we're going to talk disc golf versus ultimate. We're going to touch on media. We're going to touch on growth. We're going to touch on advantages and disadvantages. Let's get to it. Let's bring on Charlie. Hello there, everyone. We have a special guest today. We are joined by Charlie Eisenhood of UltiWorld. Hello there, Charlie. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on, Steve. Uh, we are genuinely excited to have you here. And uh, I've got to say, I started playing Ultimate back in the 90s, I believe. And UltiWorld, it seems like it was there the whole time, but I kind of doubt that. When did you start UltiWorld? <laughs> yeah. Uh... I've I've heard that sentiment a few times, but it's it's surprisingly perhaps only been around since 2012. Um, I started the site in July, uh, so summer of 2012, and uh, we've been doing it since then. And the and the disc golf site started in spring of 20, I want to say 15, although maybe 2016. Uh, I, I would have to check my notes, but it's been a couple years for the disc golf site as well. So it's it's really interesting that it's only been around for, and I say only, but only been around for seven years or so, six or seven years, and uh, it has a very strong hold on the, uh, in my opinion, on the uh, outside of the PDGA and the Pro Tour, it is the place to go for disc golf media. So congratulations on making that occur. Well, thanks. Uh, certainly that was the goal, and... I think we still have a lot of work to do, but I'm excited to feel like we're really getting some momentum going right now and uh, putting together a great team. And I think there's still plenty of room for more media in in disc golf. You know, so much effort right now is focused on the video side for obvious reasons. But I think that a, a really thriving uh, news and opinion and a journalism outlet is really important for the growth of the sport. Uh, I was pretty surprised, you know, when I, when I first started kind of 
digging into disc golf and, and, and learning a little bit more because, you know, I, I, I played a little bit around my, my house when I was a kid, you know, stop sign, disc golf. Uh, yep. <laughs> and, uh, and then I played, you know, I played a couple rounds here and there, mostly with, uh, with an ultimate frisbee disc. So I was always playing with a lid in the terminology of disc golf. And, um, you know, I, and I started, to, I started thinking after a few years of running Ulti World on the ultimate side, I was like, you know, there, there's this, there's disc golf's a, a sport that I feel like I should check out. And I, and I stumbled across the live coverage of the USDGC in um, in the last year that they had it before this year, which must have been three years ago now, when yeah. Smashbox was doing the live coverage. And uh, I remember I was watching the final few holes of the final round live, and I saw, you know, five or 6,000 people were watching. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. Like, there, there's a, like a fully-fledged live coverage of professional-level disc golf getting more viewership than you typically see on the ultimate broadcast. And I, I was very impressed by that and uh, started to do a lot more research into the sport and learned a lot. Um, and now, you know, it's, it's been, it's been a few years, but uh, it's, uh, it's, it's been very interesting to watch at the crossroads of the two sports. Um, and there's not a lot of people who sit in this crossroads. So it, it's, it's kind of cool to, to follow both sports as they continue to grow in in big ways over the last few years. Would you say that that uh, experience watching the USDGC and those uh, those five thousand plus people watching with you was the was that the the uh, impetus behind you saying we should put a disc golf side on Ulti World? Yes, I think in, in simple terms, yes. I, I mean, of course, there was a lot more thought going into it, and I you know I. I came across that because I was looking for some more video of disc golf and um but but that that really got me thinking like hey there's there's demand here as well for yeah. a news website and at the time there there was a site that was doing some somewhat news uh all things disc golf and you know we had conversations with them about potentially taking over their site and we thought about how we would want to approach it and um, I'm glad we did. I think we're still, as I said at the start, trying to figure out exactly the best way forward because it's it's such a different sport than Ultimate that it takes um, it's taken me some time to kind of understand you know, what are people interested in, what what are the things that are going to make this work, um, how are the sports similar yet different. Uh, there's a surprisingly small amount of crossover between the two sports, so. Uh, I've had to do a lot of thinking on that, but I think we have some really cool plans in the works for this off season as we get ready for the 2019 touring season. Is, uh, I'll go ahead and say it was really fun to hear you talk about the uh, the 2015-2016 media landscape. Uh, not even focused on video yet, which we I promise we will get to. Um, but uh, I remember back before we started the pro tour. Um, it actually might have been 2016 going into 2017. Uh, we were looking at a website called Newt Disc Golf, which I'm sure you're familiar with, uh, which was run mm-hmm. by uh, none other than our, our friend Steve Hill. And that was, in my opinion, had the best, best disc golf site, uh, in addition to Zach's Alping Disc Golf, had the best writing on it. And uh, and so I reached out to Steve and asked if he would be the writer for the Pro Tour events, and uh, and he was very happy to to say that he would do that. And lo and behold, you you go and scoop him up underneath my nose, and uh, and that, that <laughs> fell through as he joined Ulti World and wrote about them uh, for you instead of for me, which I think was a very good get on your part. Well, we were certainly lucky to have Steve kick the site off. Uh, I, I don't know if we could have been where we are now without Steve Hill because he brought both just a great knowledge of the sport and as the professional level side, along with a background in journalism and a, a great skill at, at writing and telling stories. And so, um, it was a slam dunk, you know, to, to bring him in. And, and we're, we're lucky to have had him as long as we did. 
you know, of course I was disappointed when he when he told me that he was going to be leaving for the PDGA, but he was leaving anyway. Um, that's you know that that was clear. Like he his his daughter had had headed back to, to to school. She was you know she was now in kindergarten age and. He needed to get back to a job that could really pay him enough to support his family, and um, you know we 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 still are not at a point where we can pay full time salaries on on the disc golf site. So uh, you know it's it, I love Steve. I see him still multiple times a year, and uh, I'm so glad that he's managed to find a job that can really highlight his skill set and keep him inside of disc golf because it would have been a real shame. To have him and his voice out of the sport, uh, if you know, if he'd had to, if he hadn't gotten an offer from the PGA, because there's really not very many places right now where you can be a full-time right. reporter slash writer. And I know that's not exactly what he does at the PGA, but there's not a lot of opportunities for that in disc golf right now. And so uh, I'm, I'm just, I'm super thrilled to have worked with him as long as I had, as I did, and and we're still good friends. I did a little bit of research, and it appears to me that about five to ten million people uh, participate and play Ultimate. Does that does that number sound about right? You know, I've seen a million numbers. Um, it's so hard to know. I I mean, I probably looked at some of the same sources that you looked at, like the manufacturers uh, research survey. Um, I think it's plausible. I mean, we know a lot of people play, and it's growing super fast at the international level. So uh, I'm comfortable saying that millions of people play. Okay. And I think on the disc golf side, I'm I'm just as comfortable saying millions of people play. And uh, I was going to go ahead and put it at 5 to 10 million. Uh, I see the sports as, as very comparably sized right now. Yeah. I, I mean, I think, I think I agree with that. And what's, what's really interesting and, this is something that I've been thinking a lot about lately is how the different characters of the sport influence a lot about them. And specifically what I mean by that is that, and this will sound a little obvious at first, but, you know, disc golf is an individual sport and ultimate is a team sport. And that core difference, despite the fact that they're both played with a Frisbee and that, you know, you could just as easily get excited about playing one or the other. Um, that core characteristic means that so much about each sport is different. And specifically, I think the economics behind each sport is quite different. Because if you look at disc golf, you know, even at the lower levels of professional play, you have people who are entering tournaments expecting to, if they do well, earn money on their performance that weekend. And that is completely opposite of Ultimate, where pretty much you have no real opportunity to earn money playing Ultimate, except a very small amount, potentially, if you play in the uh, the AUDL, the American Ultimate Disc League, which is a semi-professional league. And... But, but, you know, by and large, if you go to a tournament, you are paying for the privilege of being at the tournament, and you are expecting only to get, you know, a tournament in return. You're, you're not going to earn any money playing Ultimate. And really, even the very, very best players in Ultimate don't really make any money. And that is in such stark contrast to disc golf, where the top-level disc golf players earn enough to spend their life playing disc golf and in some cases aren't enough to have a legitimately lucrative career. Now, I know that that number of people is very small in disc golf, but that doesn't even exist in Ultimate. And again, I think it comes back to that individual where you have, you know, you're able to take all of this money that comes in from a tournament and pay out a chunk of it to the 10 people who finish the best versus Ultimate where teams are 27 people big. And you can't possibly pay enough money out to the team to really make a difference because of all of the expenses that come along with hotels and travel and all of the other things. Um, and that's had a huge ripple effect across the rest of the sport and, and sort of, you know, which companies make the most money. I mean, we, we, in disc golf, you talk about 
the big manufacturers, the disc manufacturers and their teams, and it almost feels like there's this team culture in disc golf where there's contracts and it feels kind of like more like a, a sport where there's, you know, you could almost have trades. And in ultimate, the companies that are making the money are apparel companies. I don't think that's really true in disc golf. And, you know, the apparel companies do well because they're outfitting teams. And while they may occasionally sponsor teams by giving them free free apparel, um, there's really not that same kind of promotional uh, aspect to it. And it's not nearly as robust feeling as if it was like a, you know, like a regular sport, like a, a big professional sport. And that makes me, you know, it's very interesting to me because it feels like disc golf is closer to becoming more of like what you would consider to be a professionalized version of a sport. And Ultimate feels further from that. Even though I think the, the, the competitive quality of Ultimate is very high and the, 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 I guess I would say, how it looks on television is probably better Ultimate rather than Disc Golf. But uh, the the fact that you have these companies with that and and players able to make a career out of it right now, and that feels like it's accelerating, really makes it uh, for a very interesting um, business landscape in disc golf that doesn't really exist as much in ultimate. It feels to me like it's going to long term. It's going to all come down to the number of eyeballs to see which of these sports becomes uh, a larger commercial success. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I would. So I think that's always going to be true. Presuming that is true, uh, right now, right now the eyeballs are, are probably in the same order. Um, I mean, you know, the AUDL has been around a little longer, um, and they have probably more people coming to the uh, to the events, probably in the thousands, as opposed to disc golf events, maybe get a thousand. Uh, Although they do it per day, so, you know, it may, maybe the numbers are actually really close. Oh, no, no, Ultimate definitely has more because you have more, many more games. Um, but I believe Ultimate, uh, especially in America, is going to be much more uh, viewer-friendly on the, on the computer or the television because it's a much more active sport as opposed to golf, disc golf, which is a, a, a more of a thinking man's sport and uh, doesn't have nearly as much action. So it, it feels to me like what you're saying is right now, because there's so much um, money in the manufacturing of disc golf stuff, uh, disc golf sort of has a natural built-in accelerant. And uh, so disc golf is, is going to be taking off faster, quicker. And uh, ultimate, I believe, long-term, has some inherent advantages over disc golf, one of which is just the excitement of the play. The others are the ease of uh, of creating the media. Yeah, that is true. I mean, I think you already see that a little, little bit. You know, you look at the challenges for live coverage in disc golf, and there's some amazing work being done to try to solve those challenges. But at the end of the day, there are certain fabulous courses in this country that are just not really feasible to have a live stream from. And and that really hurts, I think. Uh, whereas an ultimate game is very easy to televise. It's very easy to set up four, five cameras around a field and get amazing angles and make it look relatively close to a traditional sports broadcast because you're in a stadium or at a field where you can just set up all of your cameras, um, not having to go roaming around on a disc golf course, potentially in the forest. So th that is for sure true. But I think, you know, the point about the manufacturers that you, that you mentioned is, is totally true, which is that the money being put into promotion and marketing is so much higher in disc golf that I think you have a chance to get more kind of organic growth right now. While Ultimate may set up well for television, it's still a really long way away from getting a major television contract because not enough people want to watch it. 
And I think that you're seeing more of a natural fan base develop in disc golf as compared to Ultimate. Although I agree with what you say when you say that the order of fandom is similar in both sports. You know, neither sport is getting 100,000 viewers. They're getting 10,000. You know, we saw at Worlds 11,000 watching the, the final round of Worlds uh, live. That's an amazing number, but it's still it's still only 11,000 people. I mean, that's that. You know, you show that to a major company, and they're going to say, "Well, come back in 50 years." Um, <laughs> so I think it's I think it's very interesting though to see how um, even though it's small, kind of small little niche sport still that there's more of a marketing push behind disc golf. And um, I think both sports have the, the fantastic inherent quality of being really great for new players to find and pick up and find a community of people that they feel really good about being around. And both sports are relatively inexpensive. Um, you know, you can, you can play pickup ultimate very, very easily. You just need a pair of cleats. And you can play disc golf very, very easily for free in most cases. And all you need is, what, three discs, let's say, um, which, you know, you could pick up very cheap that I played against sports. So uh, I think that means that participation numbers are going to continue to grow. And the real question is, how do the sports turn those participants into fans? That's where disc golf has an edge right now. I, I agree with you entirely. I think um, I think disc golf is doing a very good job of creating personalities out of these uh, touring pros. And it, a lot of it is for the exact reason that you stated earlier. These touring pros are legitimately making a living. There's a handful of them that are making a good living. And, uh, and so that ball is rolling and it is, uh, it is in their best interest and the pro tour's best interest and in the manufacturer's best interest to, to keep pushing that ball and, uh, and generating those new fans and, and, and building the audience and getting this game in front of even more and more and more people. So uh, why is that difficult in Ultimate? Is it, is it harder to build personalities, or is it these people are not making a, a, a significant living, so they're not able to put the, uh, the effort towards that? I think it's a little of both. I think it is harder almost naturally to build stars in a team sport. And, you know, you look at the sports that do it the best. I think a clear example is the NBA. They exactly. do a great job of building stars. But that is one of the most individually driven team sports that there is. If you get LeBron James on your team and you're the Los Angeles Lakers, all of a sudden you have dreams of a championship. But if you were to trade Tom Brady in the NFL to my San Francisco 49ers, they're not going to do anything. I mean, they, maybe they win one more game a year, but they're, they're not going to—they're not going to suddenly turn around and win a championship. You know, the NFL struggles to do that. Baseball struggles to do that. And ultimate, somewhere in between, let's say basketball and football, in terms of the impact of an individual player, you can definitely improve your chances to win a title by getting a great player. But you're not going to go from being the completely winless Cavaliers this year to, you know, challenging for the final a year ago just because you have one player. Um, so that that can make it challenging. And, and there are, I would say, relatively marketable, famous ultimate players, but there's not a lot of people who are interested in trying to market them because those sponsorships don't exist. For reasons beyond my understanding, you know, cleat companies and jersey companies and the other assorted products around Ultimate have really not tried to use star players to market their products. And players don't have the same kind of Instagram, you know, push that disc golfers have. Um, you know, Paul Macbeth feels like almost like he's famous. And I know it's a small world thing, but, I mean, he's he is a pretty big deal. He is way more famous than any player at Ultimate. Except, you know, the, the player that anyone will name, if you ask them who's a famous Ultimate player, they're going to tell you Brody Smith. But, I mean, Brody Smith hasn't played high-level competitive Ultimate in almost 10 years. I mean, he, he's been on teams, but he hasn't been a great player since 
he was at the University of Florida in 2010. So uh, it's it's a it's a very interesting time, and you know Brody has done basically done all of the marketing of himself by himself. He hasn't had other companies really trying to push his brand until he was already famous on YouTube. So right. um, it's it's a very interesting thing, and I, I think that we will eventually see companies in Ultimate trying to do more marketing of star players and give them a small deal where they give them a couple thousand dollars as an endorsement deal to wear their gloves or something like that. But uh, it hasn't happened yet. So you you touched on this at the beginning, and, and some of our listeners might think it's obvious, but for me, when I was preparing for this, it was not obvious, which is disc golf is an individual sport and ultimate is a team sport. The sponsorships, uh, when Ricky Waisaki Sorry about that. I don't know if you cut off or not. Um, the sponsorships, for example, when Ricky Waisaki goes to Ham Kombucha and uh, wants to support that drink, he's going as himself. Uh, when a player on a team goes to uh, Ham Kombucha, he's just one player among a, a dozen or two. And it's interesting because the the person who should be going to Ham Kombucha is the is the uh, team. Right. And I'm wondering, does the team? I pers- I suspect is the people that sets the. I don't know if it's still twenty five dollars a game, but that sets the the base rate of pay. And the team is the one who would gain for gaining a sponsorship, not necessarily the players. Right. And I think that's the inherent conflict. Uh, it's, you know, Ricky Waisaki can go to Hong Kombucha because he has however many Instagram followers that he has. 20,000. I don't know what a number yeah. is, but... If you're just a famous player in, in, in Ultimate, let's say you're Manuela Cardenas, probably somebody that most people listening to this won't even know who that is. Jimmy Mickle, Bo Kittredge, Claire Chastain. I mean, these are famous players in Ultimate, but they're they're small potatoes relative to their pull on social media and compared to disc golfers. So even if they were to go, and say I'm one of the best ultimate players in the in the world. Can I, you know, can you will you will you let me endorse your company and you pay me a little money? They're not even going to get a they're not even going to get a meeting. So, sure, these AUDL teams may eventually get to the point where they can start to command some local sponsorships, but that money is going to go to the team itself, and players are still a long way from being able to promote themselves. Uh, in, in that way. And I think there's also a pretty strong current of distaste for the sport becoming more commercialized. A lot of ultimate players want the sport to stay very grassroots, to stay, you know, non-commercial. And so players aren't necessarily interested in trying to become marketable. They're just interested in playing. And I think you see that to some extent in disc golf. At lower levels, but as you get up to yeah. the professional levels, there's a lot more willingness to do what it takes to be marketable. Um, you know, Greg Barsby sits down for four, five, six interviews in a row at Worlds. And, like, that's annoying to him, I'm sure. But he does it because he understands that there's an obligation as a professional player to do that kind of thing. So, uh, you know, that, that that, again, that individual versus team dynamic, is really playing out in the two sports very uh, starkly right now. It, it is a very interesting dynamic, and I, I love your take on it. And it, it is it is really, I'm going to say exciting to me. Uh, I'm on the disc golf side. And while there are some obvious advantages that Ultimate has in the filming of their events, just set up four or five cameras and you can hardwire all of them and you can broadcast it live or you can edit it down pretty, I would think, pretty easily if everything's all synced. Uh, what, once you have that, you are you are good to go. 
whereas disc golf, there are, as you said, courses that you cannot film live just because you have no cell signal or there's just no real alleyway uh, to look where the disc is going to be flying. Having said that, it feels like every other advantage tilts towards disc golf, where we have personalities who are making a living, who are interested in supporting themselves, and are who are um, financially motivated to grow their fan base. And we have manufacturers who are inherent to the sport, uh, who are making uh, reasonable profits so that they can invest right back into the sport. And there's a, there's a lot of things that Ultimate is, is missing. Um, it'll, be, it'll be fun to watch in 20 to 30 years as, as disc golf has matured quite a bit and Ultimate is becoming super popular because it is one of the most exciting sports on the face of the earth. Uh, and then more and more people will, will start to watch as these two sister sports grow together. It's, uh, it's interesting because starting this conversation, my thought was Ultimate has the advantage. And I think you've made a lot of really valid points that make it clear that this golf as an individual sport with significant manufacturers has many more advantages. I think one of the things that is sometimes overlooked, when you play Ultimate, you need one disc. And right now that <laughs> disc is the Ultra Star from Discraft. Yep. Um, and you buy an Ultra Star, and that Ultra Star might last you 10 years, maybe more. Uh, I have a box of Ultra Stars in my room, probably got 25 discs in it. And people try to give me discs now, and I'm like, no, I do not want them. I have so many at home. I don't want that. And yet, here I am, just two weeks ago, I'm at a course, I'm out, I'm out playing around a disc golf, and I'm like, you know, I really, I should pick up a couple extra discs. I need to fill some holes in my bag. And I spent, for me and a couple of other people who are with me, probably spent $75. That happens Every, you know, for people who are serious about disc golf, and I say serious in the sense that they play, let's say, ten, 10 times plus per year. I mean, they're buying new products every single year. And, in fact, we, we had an argument at some point, maybe it was at Worlds or USDGC, how much money, I was at USDGC, I was, I was sitting with uh, Avery Jenkins and Jamie Thomas after the broadcast there. Uh, we were out to dinner with a few people, and, and the question came up, how much does the average player pay, on, you know, for disc golf each year? What do they spend on disc golf? Total discs, tournaments, all that stuff. And people were estimating in the, like, $1,000 and up range in some cases, which <laughs> was shocking me. But, but at the same time, it's not impossible to imagine that that's the number. It's not impossible to imagine that because if you want to keep your disc, if you want to keep your bag fresh and you need to have your brand-new more, you know, overstable disc, and you have to keep your flippy disc in there as well, And the, but then it gets too flippy, and you got to get rid of it. Like, by the time, like, you spend money on discs over and over again, whereas I will never buy an Ultrastar again. I don't, I don't need another one. Right. So that is a huge part of it, because I think even though there's always going to be demand for new Ultrastars, for example, because, you know, College Team wants to order their 2018 discs. I mean, that, that's going to be there. But all of the people who play buying hundreds of dollars, if not thousands of dollars worth of gear every year, that is that is something that you can build an industry around. And we're seeing that. Right. And I think that's where disc golf is in a very good position from a from a financial side, because you have companies that are doing very well that understand that when top pros market their product, they sell more products, so then the companies are willing to pay maybe thousands of dollars per year to pros to market their discs. And then the pros realize, well, if I market myself better, I could make more money. And that's obviously a, you know, a virtuous circle. So, um, again, that doesn't exist in Ultimate, really. So uh, seeing how that dynamic plays out, I think is going to be extremely interesting. You know, the, the, the way that Ultimate will get big, if it does, it will be by 
being such a compelling television product that it that it just becomes big on on t- on TV um, as opposed to selling lots of gear and having it kind of be more bottom up. It'll be more top down. Um, and I don't know if that day will come, but certainly the game televises extremely well. As a lover of sports, I feel that I can I can say that with some with some certainty. I would uh, I would agree entirely. Uh, I I do enjoy watching Ultimate on on YouTube and uh, and on my TV when I when I Chromecast it up there. And that's I think you're absolutely right that that is the way. And I'll go ahead and say the reason that Ultimate will become a a significant sport. Um, it is too compelling visually to to not become a a uh, commercial success on television. And as a ultimate player back in the day, I 100% understand the sentiment about wanting to make sure ultimate does not grow because I want to keep it small. I want the spirit of the game to be real. I want to I want to pay my forty dollars and go play in a tournament and run myself ragged for two days straight and have it be. <laughs> the the highlight of my year um doing doing that four or five times and that's uh and and I don't want a referee and I don't want anybody outside of my my niche who doesn't understand spirit of the game to even be a part of it or even know about it so like that's a that is absolutely a thought that goes on inside the the world of ultimate um I have a question for you and I know that I'm the one on the hot seat today but I do have a question for you I would love to hear it, Charlie. Let's turn this around. <laughs> I was, uh, for totally unrelated reasons, looking in the archives of the USA Ultimate, uh, or at the time, Ultimate Players Association magazine, yep. or newsletter, whatever they called it back then. And uh, I was, I was just trying to find an old story, and I'm clicking through one of the digital archives. And what do I come across but an article about starting an ultimate pro tour written by none other than Mr. Steve Dodge. And so I, I, I thought that was very, very interesting and funny. And I, I kind of am curious to know um, how long you've had the idea in your mind that you wanted to do some kind of pro tour disc sport. And are you happy you chose disc golf? And never made it happen in Ultimate. Wow, that is a great question. For those people who are not aware, back in 2003, uh, I went in front of the UPA board and I asked for $5,000 to investigate if a professional Ultimate League, which I named Pole for Professional Ultimate League, uh, was something that was viable. And, uh, our model, I'm, I'm really happy with our model, and I actually think the AUDO should pick this up. So here's a little hint for them. Uh, our model was to have two teams travel to a third team's location. So you'd have uh, you'd have New York and Boston travel to D.C., and uh, the first game would be uh, New York versus Boston. The second game would be New York versus D- versus D.C., and the third game would be Boston versus D.C. And so the fans get, you know, more bang for their buck. The win-loss columns get more wins and losses. The teams get to play each other more with less travel. And it feels more like what Ultimate was to me. Um, when, I, when I played Ultimate, you know, we played, and I'm sure this is the way it is for most people um, at tournaments, we, we played anywhere from three to five games in a day. And taking your cleats off at the end of the day was was a 10-minute trial because your feet were just done and uh so for me i loved the idea of playing multiple games in a day i think it points out hey look this is one of the most cardio challenging sports on the on the face of the planet um i loved playing soccer after i after a season of ultimate because it was just the easiest walk in the park ever um so but uh, yes, yeah, so I did propose that idea. I think it was a good idea. And I, it's interesting because, as, as we've said here, I don't think the base is, of the number of ultimate players 
is the driving factor for ultimate success. Uh, I think the presentation of the sport on TV is the driving factor. So, uh, but having said that, the, the board actually voted to not do that. And the reason given, and I appreciate the honesty, the reason given was um, if the PUL succeeds, then the PUL would basically become the governing body of the sport, where, um, it, you know, the NFL basically drives the rules of football. Um, having said that, that's not true at all, because, you know, college gave the two-point conversion to the NFL. So, um, well, but that was the concern that the UPA had at the time, was they didn't want to lose control of the sport. So, uh, and fast forward just a short three or four years later, I was on the board of the um, of the PDGA, telling the PDGA the National Tour is a great concept. We need to go MPO, FPO only. We need to focus on the media. We need to get a geographically sensible tour, and let's let's make this thing real and make it so people can actually tour and then make a living doing it and build a fan base, because without a fan base, none of this matters. And uh, that <laughs> went over like a lead balloon. And then uh, 2010, we did the same thing on the NT committee. I remember Jay Redding and I having long conversations into the night, and we came up with very similar concepts, which were also turned down. So in uh, 2013, 14, and 15, we started developing the Pro Tour for real. and just basically just did it ourselves. Um, and I'm really happy that the PDJ and I are working together. I should say the PDJ and the Pro Tour are ver working very closely together now. So, um, but yeah, that was a, that's funny that that is still written down somewhere. Uh, I'm very happy with the way things worked out. Uh, I probably wasn't, probably wasn't quite ready to run the professional ultimate league, but it did seem like a good idea. <laughs> so having so, having said, so many ideas come back and and bubble up again in the future, and now here we yeah. are as a professional ultimate league. <laughs> and I and I like the way you framed it. Just said, hey, you you know, you just had the idea of ha having a professional disc sport league of any kind, <laughs> and you settled into disc golf. That's uh, it's kind of funny. Um, I was uh, back in '03. I was a, a significant. For, for me, I was a significant ultimate player, and uh, as the knees gave out, it became a, a significant disc golfer. Uh, but the place that I was headed was um, was talking about the inherent advantages of ultimate uh, of disc golf over ultimate, and it does make me happy that I in fact ended up on this side of the fence as far as creating a professional sports league. Uh, I'd love to work together with the AUDL and the UPA uh, to grow both of our sports. I think that's something that I think, as you said, there's not a lot of crossover, but it feels like there's a good amount of opportunity for that. Uh, when, when I, after I was done playing a, a tournament of ultimate, I would be more than happy to go home and sit down and, and watch some disc golf uh, as a, as a way of relaxing. So, Charlie, do you have any uh, anything extra to add to, to close this out? Well, um, I mean, I'll just agree with what you just said, for one. I think that there is a lot of opportunity for the sports to grow a little closer connected. Um, I think we're going to be trying to do that a little on our end. And, you know, it's funny. I, I, I talk to more ultimate players all the time who are starting to get serious about playing disc golf. And uh, it feels like that that momentum is there. Uh, we're actually going to have an article series out pretty soon about um, you know an ultimate player who who took up disc golf, disc golf and got pretty serious about it, and something like a six or seven part series about um, you know how to make that transition and how to how to learn how to throw, what kind of discs to get, and I, I think that uh, there's 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 a natural synergy obviously, and it's too bad that more players don't understand how great each of the other sports is. 
in some ways, I think it's a little easier to convince people to go from ultimate to disc golf, just because <laughs> it's still throwing a frisbee, but you know it's like leisurely. But to convince people to go from disc golf to ultimate, they got to be interested in running around a little bit. So, right. uh, not not that that's not possible, but it, it, they are quite different in terms of their their tempo. Um, but you know, I, I think it's it's a really exciting time to be thinking about where these sports are headed. Uh, you know, there's a there's a so- solid foundation at this point in and a growing fan base and the opportunity to take the sport to the next level. And you know what exactly that's going to look like. I don't think anybody totally knows, but there's we're starting to get the sense that there are people in the media and you know companies that are interested in seeing the sport grow to not only get more participants, but to make it a, a game that people can be a fan of. And I think that that's, that makes it very exciting. Um, and, of course, anybody who's listening to this podcast surely is is somebody who's paying attention to the Pro Tour and will be, you know, is following this side of the sport. And I think it's there's never been a better time to be a fan of disc sports because you can actually be a fan now. There are resources available. You don't just have to wait for one or two videos a year. You know, there's tons of video coverage, and there's tons of ways to follow the stories. And not only can you reach your favorite players directly on social media, but you can read about them and read about their statistics. And uh, there's just so much exciting stuff happening. So I'm, I'm excited to see where things go as we get into the next decade. Uh, agreed 100%. This is, uh, it's a very fun time. Charlie, thank you for the great conversation, and uh, I wish you the best for the rest of the week. You too, Steve. Have a great end to your, to your 2018, and looking forward to Pro Tour 2019. And when we get to 2019 media, we'll talk more about this over the course of the off season. Two of our big focuses, foci, will be MPO2 and FPO1. We want the quality of coverage of both of these cards to come up and match the quality of MPO1. And obviously the quality of MPO1 will also continue to improve. So we're focusing on quality as opposed to moving on and getting more quantity for 2019. I'll let everybody prognosticate about what exactly that means, and we'll explain it more over the coming months. But suffice it to say, we will continue to improve and continue to push the media envelope. And with that, let's take a look at some of the 2018 media numbers that have come in. This is astonishing. Good golly. Um, I anticipated growth, but when we were putting these numbers together, even I was amazed. So, right after the break, let's get to some very cool stats. So, Just for fun, we're going to go ahead and just start out with comments and subscribers. Two interesting statistics. YouTube gives us a whole bunch of analytics on our our front page of the analytics page. And uh, the first one I'm going to go over is comments. So in 2016, we had a total of 45,000 comments on our videos. Um, And in 2017, we had 51,000 comments, so about 10% growth. In 2018... We had 115,000 comments, more than double. That was astounding. Engaging, engaging, engaging. Um, presumably, a lot of those were positive. And uh, we'll get to that in just a minute when we get to likes and dislikes. So subscribers, uh, in 2016, we had 4,300 subscribers. In 2017, we doubled that to 9,800. We more than doubled it. And in 2018, uh, 250% growth up to 24,000. And we're actually real close to 25,000. So 
If you haven't subscribed to our YouTube channel, go do it. Help us get to 25,000 subscribers. Maybe Seth will come up with a, a nice little prize when we hit that number. Maybe not. We'll have to see if he listens to the podcast. And then we go to likes and dislikes. This is a, this is interesting because the one, as I said earlier, in 2019, we're going to be focusing on quality over quantity. Um, it's not going to be about just making sure we get video out of there, getting, getting video out to you. We want to make sure that video has high quality and meets, meets the kind of standards that we all have come to, to know and love in disc golf. And, uh, so in the first year, um, we had, 2,300 likes and 215 dislikes, about a 10 to 1 ratio. In the second year, we had 5,800 likes and 590 dislikes, so almost exactly a 10 to 1 ratio. Last year, we had over 20,000 likes and right at 1,000 dislikes, uh, so a, a 20 to 1 ratio. So the, uh, the ratio went in the right direction. And we will focus on making sure that continues to go in the right direction. And what that does when that number goes in the right direction, this number goes in the right direction as well. Total views. So 2016, 320,000 total views. 2017, 604,000 total views. Not quite double. 2018, over 2 million total views. That's more than 300% growth. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Minutes viewed, 2016, 6.7 million. 2017, 12.2 million. Again, not quite double. And minutes viewed in 2018, 41.4 million. Over 41 million minutes viewed. Uh, again, well over, almost 350% growth on minutes viewed. Phenomenal, phenomenal, phenomenal. And as we focus on improving the quality and the quantity on our channel, please go subscribe. Those numbers are only going to grow even faster. So we are looking forward to a very exciting 2019. And uh, thank you all very much for your consistent support. And for when we don't do something right, you let us know. And we do do something right, you let us know and you let your friends know. So thanks for liking, thanks for sharing, thanks for subscribing, hitting the little bell so you get noticed when we have a live broadcast that goes on. All the good stuff. We'll do all that and more. 2019 is going to be huge. This has been Pro Tour Talk with Steve Dodge. If you like what we're doing, go ahead and give us a review. Go ahead and subscribe. Go ahead and tell a friend about it. Let's spread the word about disc golf. Thank you all very much. Have a great night.